This is Broadcast, Talking TV, recorded at Maple Street Studios. Hello, I'm Jake Cantor and welcome to Talking TV. Coming up this episode, entertainment veteran John K. Cooper on why he's showcasing golden oldies in new ITV format, Amazing Greys. Plus, is it the beginning of the end for current BBC commissioning quotas? Why the corporation may hand a major slice of business over to the indie sector. And last but not least, we'll preview new BBC One game show, The Guest List, and join Warwick Davis on his weekend escapes for ITV. Don't go anywhere. In the studio this week, we have Laura Mansfield, the Managing Director of Outline Productions. Welcome, Laura. How are, how are you? I'm really well. It's springtime, the sun's shining. It is. And uh, what's keeping you busy at the moment? We've got a really exciting range of programmes we're making at the moment and lots and lots of gardening. So, um, yeah, looking forward to spending, hopefully, most of the summer making gardening programmes and being outside. Uh, and back once again is Chris uh, Curtis, the broadcast editor. Uh, you're talking Game of Thrones in your leader this week. Have uh, you been sucked in? I have been sucked in, yeah. I didn't think I would be. We we tend to tease Jake in the office a bit. He's like <laughs> a, a slight Game of Thrones thing, so we tease him about being a little bit uh, Games Workshop and painting his figures at the weekend. But um, Untrue, by it, the way. It, it is a little untrue, but I have to admit, yeah, I've kind of succumbed to Westeros and its inhabitants. So away from Dragon's Door, something slightly less mythical. Uh, yes, BBC commissioning quotas are back in the spotlight. Uh, the BBC Trust is planning to launch a major review of the guarantees in a move that could signal sweeping changes to the way the corporation commissions programming. Uh, It comes against the backdrop of increasing discontent with current production quotas, with many of the UK's biggest indies campaigning for an overhaul during charter renewal next year. Uh, Laura, do you agree with the likes of uh, Hartswood Films and Shed Media that changes should be made? Yes, I absolutely do. I think change is urgently needed. Where you look at where indies compete in the walk, they do incredibly well. I think it's something like 72% in the areas where the indies can compete, they win. Now, I'm all for opening up greater areas of the BBC to competition. Competition is healthy. Competition is where you get really, really fantastic ideas. It's incredibly tough out there. The competition is really hard against indies, but what that means is that you're going to get fantastic ideas, really well executed, and lots and lots of value on screen. I do believe in reserving a a small amount of opportunity for the BBC, but really primarily in areas like news, current affairs, and potentially investigative journalism where it is very difficult for the indie sector to compete so well. But really in commercial areas, I see absolutely no reason why greater proportions of the spend shouldn't be opened up. I mean, how, how do you think it should work? Do you, do you think the walk should be just broadened and, and, and made bigger or do you think there should be larger scale I, changes? I think I at least feel it should be a level playing field at, at, the, at the very, very least. I mean, at the moment, you've got a situation where half is reserved for the Beeb, you've got the 25% walk and then 25% indie. Well, that's not fair. I mean, at the very least, I would say you should make it a third, a third, a third. I mean, I'd prefer to go further, but I think, you know, there are areas of compromise that we could look at such as that. And there's whole new areas, for example, BBC Three. I mean, there's a big question mark about what's happening and what about their commissioning. I'd say get rid of any BBC guarantee for the new BBC Three and make it entirely indie. Chris, it sounds like the BBC is going to test some of these ideas. Do you think change is inevitable now? Yeah, I think that's the sort of mood that we've been picking up since 
end of last year, start of this year, certainly. It's the kind of messages that you're hearing from organisations like The Trust, from PACT. And I think there's probably an acknowledgement within the BBC uh, executive now that, that, that change is inevitable. I think the WOC fundamentally probably served its purpose at the time, did a good job um, when it was it was introduced. I think now you've got a situation where effectively the Indies are sort of knocking at the door, really. They're kind of butting up against the, the limitations of that walk. And That's John McVeigh's argument, certainly. Yeah, and I think it's a good one. I think it's a good one. I think that things need to change. You know, I kind of think that if you have a, a slimmed down, more robust, more dynamic BBC in-house production, that would be a good thing. That's certainly what they're trying to do. The new, you know, Mark Freeland and Natalie Humphreys are trying to almost make BBC productions more indie-like, which seems a sensible way to go. And, yeah, I think more competition, a, a larger percentage of programming in the walk would be a smart move. Uh, ITV's Magnus Brooks said it would be a big bang for the the indie sector. Do you do you agree with that? Do you think it would have that significant uh, an impact, Laura? Yeah, I think it would, because I think what you'd find is that the indies would probably beat the competition. There's such a range of talent and experience out there in the indie sector that I really think that they could successfully compete in all genre. We made our first um, natural history programme last year. Natural history is an area where it's very, very difficult for indies to compete against, you know, the big beast that is the natural history unit. But in those areas where indies do get a chance to compete, I think I think we really kind of go over and beyond. I think it's, it's all good for the indie sector and ultimately all good for broadcasting. Uh, just sticking with the BBC briefly, ITV and Channel 4 attacked the corporation's plans to launch BBC One Plus One. Uh, in evidence to the Culture, Media and Sport Committee, uh, the broadcasters complained that the BBC should uh, not be nakedly chasing audience share. Chris, do you, uh, do you side with Channel 4 and ITV on this one or do you think that BBC One Plus One is, is the right decision? I think there's an element of um, audience expectation here. I think that if the, Absolutely. Or, if the, uh, if the audience... My girlfriend <laughs> finds it baffling that there's not does. a Plus One channel. Of course she does because she sees ITV One Plus One and Channel 5 Plus One and all the other Plus Ones. So I think that the Plus One argument is slightly off key from Channel 4 and, and ITV. What I would say is I think that their other argument is that BBC content needs to be distinctive and different and not replicating the purely sort of market-driven uh, content that you might find on ITV1, for example. So I think it's probably less about should they have a plus one and more about is the content that's on the BBC the right kind of content for the corporation. Uh, another window for your content, Laura. That is a good thing? It, 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 is, it is a good thing, but I also think it's um, it speaks to Chris's point. It's reality. Nowadays, people expect that they can watch the content when they want to watch it, whether that's on a time-shifted channel, whether that's on iPlayer. So... I don't really buy, you know, I understand why ITV and Channel 4 are making the argument. Of course they are. And yes, you have to look at the commercial impact that the BBC is making. But ultimately, it's got to make its content available to licensed fee payers in a way that people are watching nowadays. And I just think the world has moved on. Plus one is, is a reality. In regard to the commercial type of content, I mean, this is an argument that's been running and running for 40 years. Ultimately, the BBC, as it stands, and I think as it should continue to stand wants to make programmes that attract a broad range of audiences, which means that in the mixture of everything else they've got to do, they've got to do programmes that have a certain amount of commercial appeal. You know, there's a question about how many of those shows they should do, but you've got to bring in a broad-ranging audience who want to watch a a range of shows. Otherwise, you become very, very niche like... um, you know, a, a tiny little channel. OK, away from the BBC this week, we, of course, had the uh, resignation of Culture Secretary Maria Miller. Uh, the Tory MP was forced to step down on
on Wednesday amid a long-running row over her expenses. And she has been replaced by Sajid Javid, the Financial Secretary to the Treasury. Uh, Chris, what do we make of uh, Miller's industry legacy? Not much. <laughs> she never, I mean, she never Is there seemed, one? Um, she never seemed to be terribly interested in the sort of broadcast and the TV sector. Um, Ed Vasey much more engaged with the industry. I think under her watch, they finally sorted out retransmission fees and got to a stage where the BBC and Sky stopped squabbling over 10 million quid, which in the grand scheme of both those organisations isn't a huge sum of money. So she got that sort of sorted and extended the licences for ITV and Channel 4, I think. Yeah, and Channel 5. And Channel 5. But that was surely always going to happen. Yeah, I think so. I mean, look, the reality is that her tenure as uh, Culture Secretary hasn't been marked by a new Communications Act, hasn't really been marked by anything too significant. It feels like it will not make much of a dent in the history books. Do you agree with that, Laura? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it's a very strange portfolio, the Culture Secretary. I mean, if you think that, you know, looking at the resignation letter, what she's been remembered for is is, um, same-sex marriage, that that sits in the same portfolio as, you know, the Broadcasting Act is slightly bizarre anyway. It is odd. And and what about Sajid? Clearly going places. I think so. You look at this guy and he's young. Um, He's only been a politician since 2009, I think. They've obviously... Former banker. They've earmarked him for great things, I think, you know. There is a bit of a feeling, I think, in the industry and certainly within Whitehall that the DCMS culture secretary job is kind of a nice stepping stone to something else. It's where you can go and sort of learn your trade a little bit before you get promoted to one of the top jobs. You feel slightly sort of um, uneasy about that. But he's clearly been marked out for good things. Apparently he's very sharp, very quick. Uh, we'll we'll wait and see. But um, he's definitely going places as a politician. And he's got charter renewal in his in-tray. Uh, lucky him. Um, yeah, it's a big piece of work. It's the number one thing that's coming up, certainly in our sector, over the next few years. So I guess, you know, maybe he and James Purnell will be sat having meetings, lunches, discussing butting heads together. I'm sure they'll be getting something in the diary, perhaps as we speak. I don't know. I would imagine so. <laughs> OK, lastly in the news section, uh, it's Talking TV's Commission of the Fortnight. Uh, I thought we'd use this as an excuse to head over to Cannes and inspect some of the MIP TV trading. Uh, the week's big deal was Channel 4 and Xbox's agreement to co-produce an eight-part series based on Swedish sci-fi drama Real Humans. Uh, the Kudos produced show will air on Channel 4 and be streamed via Xbox in the US in 2015. Uh, Chris, this is quite a big statement of intent from Xbox, isn't it? Yeah, it's really interesting, isn't it? I think that um, we've been talking for a long time about these new emerging digital players becoming genuine uh, funders of original content and this is certainly the biggest uh, most significant thing that xbox has done in terms of linking up with the british tv industry so really interesting more platforms laura it's got to be a good thing i mean it's genuinely exciting more funders more platforms more different ways of experiencing content and you know people recognizing that television and long-form content is what people want to watch I think what's re- what's really interesting is this is kind of like a slightly sci-fi project, um, so it sort of chimes quite nicely with the whole Xbox gaming thing. And they're also talking about doing more interactive, uh, sort of second screen um, content available, and that obviously again sort of chimes with Xbox. So I think strategically it makes quite a lot of sense. And part of a wider international drama push from Channel Four. Yeah, massively. We wrote about it um, just last week. Sky and the BBC have been the big drama international co-pro funders over the years and Channel 4 would like to get involved and this is their first sort of toe in the water to that effect. Generally, it felt like a a bit of a quieter MIP this year. Um, MIP TV is usually a bit quieter. There wasn't any massive announcements, Laura. Uh, Were Hattrick doing some business down there for you? 
I hope so. I hope, they've been, <laughs> yeah. I hope they've been terribly busy. I'm yeah. sure they will have been. Um, you know, and that's and that's why we've sort of chosen to do an output deal with a smaller boutique distributor because, you know, relatively speaking to to their portfolio, we're, you know, more important and, you know, we can get more profile within that. But we personally haven't chosen to go down to MIP this um year because ultimately, you know, the American broadcast is attending now to go to MIPCOM and I think we're seeing sort of much more activity in the autumn and you know when you're an indie and you're having to really choose carefully about when to spend your own money we're choosing to go to real screen in january and mip come in the autumn and um you know missing out mip tv but um you know we're delighted to be working with uh, distributors who are busy on on our behalf fantastic uh, thanks very much guys that's your news for this episode uh, my thanks again to laura and chris Next up, the game show that pits young pretenders against some of the UK's most talented pensioners in a series of physical and mental challenges. ITV's new format Amazing Greys is of Dutch descent and has been dubbed by some as a twist on vintage Saturday night entertainment show The Generation Game. Presented by Paddy McGuinness and Angela Rippon, the six-part series, which will air in a plum slot after Britain's Got Talent, also marks John K. Cooper's return to production after leaving ITV's entertainment commissioning team last year. Before bringing John in, here's a taste of the show with Amazing Grey's pensioner and former mastermind champion Elizabeth Horrocks preparing for a challenge. When I was about 10, I was on Junior Crisscross Quiz. Do you want to know that? <laughs> then I won Mastermind in 1974. You have scored 15 points. On the 10-year anniversary, and then recently they did a Champion of Champions. I think I might have an advantage over a younger opponent because what they might consider as history, I was there. I lived through it. If somebody was rude enough to think that I was an old lady and therefore had no chance, I would say, I'm not old, I'm not a lady, and I've got every chance. Welcome, John. Thanks for coming in. Um, Good morning, Jake. How are you? I'm, I'm very well, thank you. It's, it's quite unlike anything I've seen on television before. Could you, could you talk, us about, uh, talk us through how it all came about, the show? Well, that's very nice of you to say that, because I mean, that, that's what we were trying to achieve, was something that was just a little bit different. Um, well, as you said in your in your excellent uh, intro, uh, it is a, uh, about uh, giving the opportunity for a team of what we call Amazing Greys, who are wonderfully talented, skilled uh, uh, senior citizens, uh, who then take on young challengers, uh, very fit, able people. And if the young challengers can, can beat two out of three of the greys in competition they walk away with ten thousand pounds it's an iWorks format originally is that right it's an iWorks format uh it i think it's had one it was had one special in germany which uh, I, I i've seen uh and reinhardt ellermans of course who who uh, runs iWorks came to see us with the with the format a, a few months ago and then it was just a just just a few clips the german show has been you know, sort, of, sort of since then and we liked it we felt it was it was it, it made good prime time entertainment and it, what I liked about it was it was wonderfully cross-generational and that's that's the pot of uh, gold at the end of the rainbow if you like because what you want is the whole family watching and there's something for everybody so we we piloted it and it worked very well we remember we did it on a on the stepping out setup in the fountain studios originally which wasn't the ideal kind of setting for it but there was enough there to show us that it was it was working really well 
you know, six six part series was commissioned. So was it a bit of a risk? I mean, because usually when ITV brings in uh, foreign formats, they've usually been well established in another territory, haven't they? You're right. Uh, it, that's true. I mean, uh, looking back over time, of course, they have a, a bit of a track record. Um, with this one, it was cleverly put together. In fact, I wouldn't say there was any, any real risk there. What we had to do was make sure that that uh, not only were the young challenges and, and, and our amazing greys, the, the, the type of challenges we set them and the type of games made for genuine competition. Because clearly when you've got some sporting icons, which I'm sure we'll talk about later, who were part of the amazing greys, and then young, young fit people in their sort of 20s, early 30s, Admittedly, it's not a level playing field. So what we had to do was was design and create games that would show off the skills and talents of of our amazing greys, but make it a leveler playing field by twisting the game slightly, changing the games how they how they're done, so that it's giving a, a fighting chance to the young people to to really take them on. Uh, you think it would be the other way around? You'd have to you'd have to make it easier for the pensioners rather than well, r- rather than the young yes, challengers. Don't forget, these are experts in that yeah. they have got great skill. All of them were chosen for, for, for that that they were either sporting legends and, and, and icons that that many many people will remember, or they were people who would who were TV quiz champions or we had a mastermind champion which you've just heard Elizabeth Horrocks there and we had a John Bly who is an antiques expert from Antiques Roadshow it we mix and match sporting style challenges but in a more of a game show concept with uh, mental agility and Q&A type games and tell us about the decision to uh, to bring in Angela Rippon because that played out very favorably in the press didn't it? it it did Angela is a fantastic professional she's still you know well loved and liked by by every from from when you you know you look back at that uh, amazing career and of course I think she's on two of the series as well at the moment on on the BBC what we realized after the pilot was we needed a team captain we needed a champion of the Greys you see them on the show like like a kind of team they're all got sporting blazers on and so on and she selects she'll you know intermingle the sporting challenge with a bit of clever Q&A or the antiques uh, game or there's a great sort of travel geographical uh, quiz as well, which is both visual as well as as well as verbal. Her job is to make sure the amazing greys win everything. But of course, we've got some great contestants, so they they also do well. So then she has to pull out another clever, talented uh, senior citizen, the grey, to take part and try and win back if the contestant has won one of the games. Yeah. I mean, they, they go through quite a lot of physical exertion in some of the challenges. Was there any duty of care that you had to introduce on set? Of course. I mean, you know, it, you're absolutely right, particularly where, where it is road racing bikes on on, uh, on, on the machines. Uh, yes, but of course, the people we brought in as an amazing greys are doing this every day or two or three times a week. They're you know, they to. are very, very fit. And of course, we made sure from, you know, from a health point of view and fitness that they, they were up to it. You know, you, you wouldn't you wouldn't want to start a show. You wouldn't want to go into a show like this unless you proven that, you know, it would be folly, wouldn't it? And you've got, <clears> uh, as I said you've got that that slot after britain's got talent is that is that a positive thing or is that a bit daunting perhaps well i think it's great scheduling uh, i mean i'm thrilled it's going to go after bgt because i think it shows you know i think uh, itv's uh, positive attitude towards the show and, and giving it that kind of slot because you are hopefully we are carrying that cross-generational audience that watch bgt straight over to another show a very different show but still has that kind of 
hopefully cross-generational charm and therefore kids will watch it and OAPs will watch it. Yeah, and more generally, how are you, how are you finding life on the other side of the fence? Um, I'm enjoying it. I mean, I, I, listen, listen, I had the most amazing time uh, as, as Control Entertainment in broadcasting. And, and you know, it's six, just under six fantastic years. It's great fun. But it, it's pretty intensive. You know, I, I, I was very fortunate in look, uh, you know, be looking after and overseeing a lot of the biggest shows. But, of course, it's a seven-day-a-week job. You know, most of those shows are made at the weekends. You know, you can't have a couple of days off during the week just to sort of make up for it. So you, it is full-on and more. So I, I just felt it was time. I just needed a better, slightly better work-life balance. But also, I've never lost my love of production, uh, as everybody who knows me and, you know, shows I work on will, will vouch for. Uh, so just to get back and concentrate on just a couple of shows, uh, and back in, you know, particularly with ITV Studios, which... You know, it was with London Weekend in that same building, in that st- same studios, which have, have always felt like home. So although I had some rather nice offers from other, other people and some indies, I actually felt, well, you know, why would I want to break away from the company that have largely, you know, given me a you know, great career? So I was thrilled to be asked to come back to ITV Studios. So you're just enjoying a bit more time for yourself, but still yeah, keeping your hand in. My wife in. is much happier. I've got weekends <laughs> now where I can, we can go off and see relatives. And, and you, you say all this, John, but you're preparing for a massive undertaking with uh, the adaptation of uh, Rising Star, this, yes, uh, this big Ra- Israeli <laughs> format. How are you preparing for that? Well, it's still very early days, to be honest. But the end of, the, of April, when I actually start, full time uh so i've had a few meetings and we 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 know we're getting to grips with it it's it sold exceptionally well already, as you know. I think mean, it's uh, well. I, I don't know about this MIP, but I know up to the point of the people going out to MIP. I think it's in nineteen or twenty territories already, or at least their option to go into those uh, territories. All the, most of the big ones, obviously the US, they're starting in June. It's just opened at, in Brazil under a slightly different uh, name. So it's on, they're calling it Superstar there. But it will be Rising Star everywhere else. I understand that uh, Spain and Germany, Australia, Scandinavia are all, you I know, lined up. I think you did have a good up. time at MIP uh, this week. Yeah, no, so I, I, I haven't heard from them yet because they've all been out there. So, yeah, I'm going to pop in over to Tel Aviv uh, in a couple of weeks' time to meet up with them all. And then we'll get gonna, we'll get, get cracking at the end of, end of April. So the US one's launching in the summer. In the summer, yeah. Will, will, you, will you look at that and try and take lessons from well, that will be the first English language version. It's actually been executive produced by an old friend and ex-colleague of mine, uh, Ken Warwick, uh, who we worked together on Gladiators at London Weekend. And I've known Ken since he was a dancer and I was a young uh, director of dance shows and shiny floor shows. So, you know, we know each other well and we've been communicating about, about the format, which inevitably will take on changes and adaptations from the way it was done in, in Israel because and that's what the Keshet uh, team want anyway they want to see to see the show grow and I'm sure there'll be a lot of interest in those English language versions when they're made well we wish you all the best with that and Amazing Greys uh, thanks for joining us today uh, Amazing Greys launches on Saturday the 12th of April at 8.30pm The last stop this episode is, of course, our regular preview section. Uh, Joining me again on the talking TV sofa is Laura Mansfield and Chris Curtis. Our first appointment to view is BBC One's new entertainment show, The Guest List. 
Hosted by Rob Bryden, the 12-yard format features two contestants battling it out to answer a series of unexpected questions with the assistance of a panel of celebrities. Let's hear Bryden sparring with guest James Corden in the first of six episodes. The question is, according to a recent survey, what are people most likely to lie about on a dating website? James Corden says... Size. Size. Mm. Now... When you say size... Yeah, if I hadn't settled down with Mrs Corden, I'd probably say, oh, you know, I'm stocky. <laughs> you, know? you look now like a slovenly Gary Barlow. <laughs> <laughs> Gary Barlow after Christmas. <laughs> after a really good Christmas. Yeah. Chris, do you want to start us off on this one? Uh, blankety blank. It's, it's just it's blankety blank as far as I can tell, um, which I kind of like. I think I used to like blankety blank when it I was, was a good show back when in I was the day, wasn't six it? or something. I don't know. I mean, I love Rob Brydon, and I'd pretty much be happy to watch him read out the phone book, uh, which might have been preferable to this. Um, it didn't it, feel like there was much of a format here. No, I mean, look, it's really about his banter with the guests um, and his sort of uh, witty repartee and his voice and his impressions. And you know what? That is fine and it's fun. Uh, the as a, It's not really a game show. It's more, it's a comedy vehicle for him. The couple of times they cut from him doing his banter to the two contestants who were sort of sat there stony-faced, I'm afraid that quite a lot of the time I was a bit stony-faced as well. One of Charlotte Moore's first entertainment commissions, Laura. What, what, what do you reckon? I thought that Rob Brydon was fantastic and I actually re- I thought it was a very unexpected choice for a host for a show like this. And the celebrity booking was brilliant. I mean, they had a really, really great range of guests. And if you're going to call something, you know, the guest list and make a kind of pun on it, you know, you've got to have good guests. You've got to back they, it up. They did. And they had, you know, James Corden, Louis Smith, Amelia Fox, Simon Callow and Jennifer Saunders. And I thought they all gave really good value. I think the thing that was really difficult about it was it was sort of confused as to what kind of a show it was was it a game show was it a celebrity chat vehicle and I kind of would have rather it was much more one thing or much more the other I sort of got to the end and kind of counted the number of questions they'd had and over the course of an hour there were four questions and I think which isn't many it it, it (laughs) wasn't many and I so I felt that the pace was just for me was just too slow and I would have rather they'd kind of ramped it up and made it a bit more of a game show but uh, you know it was entertaining and I found myself getting more and more into it as the program progressed would I have given it that much time if I was a viewer at home on the sofa not previewing it for this show I don't know that I would but by about halfway through I found myself really kind of warming to it like a kind of warm relaxing bath uh, Chris on the last podcast we watched the trip mm. uh, which was which was brilliant this feels like the trip but for Saturday night entertainment I don't know <laughs> I think it's the, it's the sort of same thing giving Rob the the freedom to, to do his com- to do his thing completely completely I don't think we sat around uh, here are probably the target audience for this so I think you need to be a bit a bit careful about that. I completely agree with Laura about... So it wasn't even totally clear to me at the end, the grand finale, was she genuinely winning a prize, this woman? And clearly they're going for the banter. That's the that's the thing. And it was... Fu- you know, there were some good gags. There were some funny moments. Um, Rob Brydon is is excellent, but... It it felt very it felt really confused and it was hard to get excited. Does it does it show how tough entertainment is these days? Massively. I yeah. mean, game shows really really difficult. 
I almost felt this was this was a sort of comedy show masquerading as a game show, and the game show was the formatting was so so light, just to almost to try and give Rob the, the Rob Brodden the chance to interact with these guests. It was fine. I'd be really interested to see how it see how it rates. Whether it, I, I presume they're going to play it quite early in the evening. Well, they're actually playing it at nine thirty. They're playing it at nine thirty. Yeah. Um, I'm I mean, slightly some of the, surprised by that, to be honest. <laughs> some of the jokes are, I mean, I, I guess a little close to the wire, but uh, it's yeah, not. It's not a post watershed show. Is I don't it? think it is very post watershed. I mean, you know, they mention sex and they mention, you know, um, that you know orgasms, but you know, pretty much it was sort of very family friendly. It struck me as Simon Callow gets a tough time. <laughs> he does. I mean, I thought, I thought, the, I, like the I said, I think good, the guests yeah. were great and I think there was a genuine warmth and there was a genuine sense of fun. So ultimately, I guess I think it would be a show that I'd like to see. I mean, let's see how it rates, but that I'd like to see kind of, you know, develop and move on. And I think what you've got to say is good on people, good on Charlotte, good on BBC One for experimenting in primetime because that's how you're going to crack new formats. And, you know, things can evolve. There's no reason why you can't either kind of up the pace or slow the pace during a series. So it seems like the guest list is anyone's guess. Yeah, I have no idea. (laughs) The show debuts on BBC One at 9.30 on Saturday the 12th of April. Uh, okay, let's flick over to ITV for our final preview this episode, which is Weekend Escapes with Warwick Davis. Uh, the latest twist on a travelogue follows life's too short star Davis and his family as they take in some of Great Britain's more quirky attractions. Uh, produced by Love Productions, here's the Davis clan enjoying some evening entertainment in the company of some Cor- Cornish pirates. I don't know why I went Cornish there. <laughs> let's fire the cannon! Yeah. Oh, <laughs> These pirates certainly have some fearsome weapons at their disposal, but they save their most lethal till last, a mandolin. Audience participation is compulsory! So I've traumatised my son, shot my wife in the foot, and narrowly avoided having my head chopped off, all in a good day's work for Long John Davis. Laura, this is your space. A slightly different take on a travelogue. Well, I'd, I'd say it isn't really a very difficult take on a travelogue because I think we've seen on Sky, we've seen travelogues with Carl Pilkington, we've seen travelogues including Warwick Davis, and they've been really successful and really, really funny. For me, this wasn't very funny, and I think you know you can put a comedy actor into a travelogue, and you know it's hard. They're not necessarily going to deliver comedy. So for me. This felt rather uncomfortable. The the scene we've just heard the clip of soon after the pirates came, you know, Warwick's young son, and it features his family, which was interesting. And his son gets very, very upset by the pirates. And I found it very, very uncomfortable watching. It wasn't really comedy. I didn't really know what the kind of the the tone was of the programme. So uh, for me, I found it quite uncomfortable. It wasn't so much travelogue or comedy, really. Yeah, somewhere in between, Chris. Somewhere in between, yeah. I mean, it was light and soft, and I, I did kind of think, you know, so um, it's Warwick Davis, who we all know, and it was quite nice seeing him interact with his wife and his children. I thought they were quite charming as a they, family. They were, absolutely. I think, and, I, and you know what? I think that's the, the, the strongest thing about the show. It's one of those, it's a kind of quirky Britain show. Let's go around Britain and meet loads of sort of quirky British eccentrics and celebrate, celebrate that. Um, for that, it was fine, but um, it didn't really have any edge to it at all. Yeah, uh, Warwick Davis uh, has got form with the ITV audience. He did uh, the Perspectives documentary, uh, The Seven Dwarves of Auschwitz, which performed really well. Mm. 
Do you, I mean, do you think he's uh, you know becoming a sort of star in his own right and and uh, really developing on television? Yeah, I mean, I think I think he's a fantastic character, and he's clearly you know he's you know an intelligent, thinking actor who's got things to say, and I think it's fantastic seeing different kinds of people there in prime time. So I'm I'm all for kind of developing Warwick Davis and what he does. I suppose the difference between a show like this and that documentary is I think he had a lot to get his teeth stuck into there. There was something for him to be really opinionated. About. About, for something to for him to be passionate about and I think the gentleness of this just left it sort of rather without bite you know I, I don't think there was enough subject matter for him do you think we'll see more of this kind of thing under Richard Klein or do you think you'll take it in a slightly different direction I think the really exciting thing about Richard Klein you know looking after factual at ITV is that I think he's quite keen to experiment in, in lots of different areas and push the boat on what ITV1 can be. You know, there's, there is a broad range of subject matter and I think the appetite for the ITV audience to get different factual pieces is considerable and I think he seems to be embracing that. So, yeah, it's got to be a good thing. It feels like these travelogues are getting a bit tired, Chris. Do you agree? Yeah, I'm kind of done with travelogues <laughs> a little, little bit. What I would say is the moment in the show that I liked the most was when Warwick and his family, who were all little people we should probably just make that clear they were packing up their campsite and he sort of said oh you know we've got to be a bit more innovative and he had like a, um, a dog lead attached to the boot of his car that allowed that he could, he could sort of lock the dog lead and that allows him to pull the boot of his car down and that was really that it was, was, a, lo- it was a nice little insight a little insight absolutely and the way that he got on with his family and the warmth of the family was was the best thing about the show but it was kind of like I wish they'd been given something slightly more interesting to do uh, Weekend Escapes with Warwick Davis begins on the 11th of April at 8pm and runs for six weeks. Uh, And that marks the end of another edition of Talking TV. Thanks to our guests, Laura Mansfield, Chris Curtis and John K. Cooper. Thanks also to you for listening. We'll be back in a fortnight when we'll discuss ITV's latest breakfast show relaunch, Good Morning Britain. Until then, I've been Jake Cantor and the producer was Matt Hill. Goodbye for now. You've been listening to Broadcast, Talking TV, recorded at Maple Street Studios. 